Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Griefsters. I hope you're having an okay week. Um, I'm feeling much better than I did last week. Last week. I don't know how you found it, guys, but it's quite bleak. <laughs> oh, God. Here we go. But actually, weirdly, it's all autumnal now. And it's, um, well, to put it politely, it's pissing it down. And uh, I don't know, maybe I've just got used to it. Maybe my... Uh, London brain is like yeah that's that's normal life it's just rain anyway I hope wherever you are listening you're doing okay thank you so much for listening to the grief house thank you so much for your amazing comments on this new series I've been overwhelmed just astonished at how lovely and all the incredible messages that you've been sending so thank you so much as ever we are on twitter and instagram at the grief cast if you'd like to join in the chat This week, I'm talking to writer and former barrister Olivia Potts. Olivia is the author of A Half-Baked Idea. Uh, She is just a a brilliant, brilliant human. And I thoroughly recommend following her on Instagram at A Half-Baked Idea because she regularly posts things she's cooked and recipes, which might help you get through these winter months. Olivia came in to talk to me about her mum. Every time I do a group cast, I panic about someone's name. And now I'm worried I said your name wrong. <laughs> no, you said my it? name right. No, bang on. Do you know what's happened is in my head, the whole time that I've known you and be aware of you, I've been saying poots. Olivia poots. Because <laughs> that's and my handle on today, Twitter. That's fair. Oh, that's why. That's why, And then yeah. today I had to email you and I was like, oh my God, her name's Potts. Carrie, why have you been making her into this cutie little... No, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old nickname from uni. Okay. So, that, so Poots, is, Poots is my handle, but um, oh, Potts is I'm my I'm glad Sunday. that you've... I thought I'd just... You're, you're not weird. just going mad. <laughs> mad. Um, and Livia, as I said, is a writer. You recently wrote an incredible memoir called A Half-Baked Idea, which just won the Fortnum Mason's Debut Food Writing Award. Yes. 
Congratulations. Thank you. That must have been very exciting. Yeah, it was. And I, I mean, it's hard writing any book. I have mm. a lot of respect for anyone who just gets to the end of 80 or 90,000 words. Oh, but yeah. it's quite exposing writing a memoir about death and grief and parents. Yeah. So it was very nice, particularly nice to for it to win that. Did you get any free stuff from Portland Masons? <laughs> you, you you may get a large hamper. <gasps> oh my God. Guys, it's worth writing a book just for that alone. Is, that is so exciting. Honestly, the, the most exciting thing when that's delivered. I haven't got my trophy yet because of lockdown, but oh, yes, do I course. even need it if I've got a giant Fortnum's hamper? No. Probably not. A whole hamper, that's incredible. Yeah. A lot of biscuits. Oh a yeah, lot, they love, they love the biscuits. A lot of biscuits. I hope there's some marmalade in there as well. There, do you know, there was no marmalade. There was <gasps> jam. There was no okay. marmalade, but there was jam. I don't want to be shady, but I did actually buy some Fortnum Mason's marmalade because my husband loves, I don't like marmalade. And he was actually a bit like, meh about it. Well, so the the Fortnum's marmalade I'd recommend is that they Ooh. stock the stuff that wins the world's original marmalade awards. So <gasps> I'm sure the Fortnum standard stuff is great, but you can get like the best in the world <coughs> oh, um, wow. because they're the only place that stock it. And it is, it is very good. Okay, now I'm... That's, now that's I'm my just, marmalade I, tip. That's good. <laughs> Guys, if I could do a podcast about marmalade, I mean, I wouldn't. I, my husband would have to do it, but I'm happy to talk food. Um, <laughs> anyway, that, so obviously this isn't the marmalade cast. Um, who no. are we remembering today, Olivia? We are remembering my mum, Ruth. Ruth. Oh, yeah. my mum's called Ruth. Uh, so Ruth Potts. Yes. And so how long ago did Ruth die? So I always feel really bad about this because I forget... And I, oh, I listen to a lot right. of grief cast and some people forget, but most people know it to the day. <laughs> so yesterday I, I looked up her obituary to check. I didn't even check in my own book. I looked up her obituary to check when she died. It was seven years and five months ago oh, that she gosh. died. Wow. Um, but I think I would probably have said it was six years and something. So I, it's, it's weirdly not ingrained in me. I would, if you'd asked me before she died, I, could, I would have said I would know to the hour. But yeah. I don't. I really don't. I get it wrong all the time. That's so interesting. I don't think it's... As I said, my brother's the same. Like, I have to remind him. I'll be like, oh, it's the anniversary coming up. And he's like, is it? And I'm like, I, I, for years, I was like, how do you not know? How is it <laughs> burned onto your soul? But then I met other people who, I think it really depends on your relationship with dates and numbers. And I think some yeah. people just don't apply significance to dates in their, I don't know, in their like emotional world. Like maybe other things aren't date-wise important to you. Whereas to me, like my birthday's important. Like when I met someone's important. Like I really have this like calendar in my head of things. I have to do a lot of reverse engineering to work out like how long I've been married or been with Uh... my partner or how old my sister. It's all reverse engineering. So Mm. uh, I suppose it's the same with mum. Yeah. I did a really bad thing the other day we had to put down when we got married. And I genuinely was like, oh yeah, no, it was the year after I did my first Edinburgh. (laughs) (laughs) Easy. And literally my husband was like, do you know how I remember it? And I said, no. And he went, it's the year that we got married. It's <laughs> like, oh God, the shame, the shame of a comedian. I felt so, not often I completely do a cliche like that. So it was seven years ago. Yes. Um, so that's, that's an interesting time, seven years, isn't it? Because you're kind of out of the initial like chaos rawness, but yeah. it's still quite, it's still quite recent seven yeah, years. Yeah, it still feels very present. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But not raw. That probably is the, the difference. It was raw for a very, very long time. Yeah. Although I've been surprised by quite how much it's affected me during lockdown. I it's I, I feel like I've taken yes. quite a few steps back through lockdown yeah. in terms of my grieving process. But so I it has that's... suddenly felt newer. Yeah. How has it affected let's talk about that because I think it's really interesting. How has it made you feel like you've gone backwards? 
it's felt probably even more present than it does mm. anyway. And I've just missed her a lot more. I miss her a lot. I mean, we'll get into the fact that me and mum were like creepily close, but <laughs> even even taking that into account, I've missed her a lot more. And I think it was probably around the time when, oh, you know, maybe three or four weeks in when people started talking about how much they miss their family. Oh, and it was that yeah. point where you, that, that very, um, I think it's quite a unique feeling to, to a close bereavement of like, sadness and frustration anger that all crystallise into this point that just feels like it's going to burst out of you and it can mm. come at weird unexpected times and I just felt that frequently throughout that period where I was like yeah well at least you've got a mum at least you can do it those mm. feelings that I, I felt very acutely for the first two years three years of grief but then have somehow mellowed or softened they were back again with me feeling like everyone has it easier than me it's incredibly yeah. hard it, it felt just painful again really painful I think that's I think that's a really common uh, griefster experience through lockdown I noticed that I was tweeting about it as well because I think so one your life is full of distractions so if you are a bit further away from the death it you obviously like you said you feel sad but like you know you're you can get swept up in life a bit more mm-hmm. I think the further you get away so you'll have like work or family or, or friends and stuff and then you'll be like oh yeah that is sad they're not here Whereas those first few years, it's all it's all consuming. Yeah. And suddenly in lockdown, we had no distractions. And also I felt, the thing that really got me was like, and I had the same thing, you know, 20 plus years. And I was like, oh, I feel the grief is really present. Why is why have you shown up? Yeah. <laughs> Where have you fuck? come from? Yeah, what the fuck do you want? I felt like when, when someone dies, you know that feeling like you want the world to stop mm-hmm. and you can't believe it's going on. And I felt like I'd look outside and be like, oh it's like it did what I wanted it's like it stopped this is awful I feel like everybody's like everybody's that frozen feeling which is quite griefy yeah um yeah I really felt it very present and very strange and yeah I guess it's like you said you're suddenly aware of the lack of things and the presence of things because it's so quiet so I was very aware of things I was very grateful for I was like oh I'm so grateful like you know we we have a house and it's warm and there is food in the fridge like we are so lucky but then I was very aware of the lack of things that were missing like yeah family and stuff like that so yeah I think that's it's such a it was very I hate that I don't love this phrase but it's very triggering I think for a grief it was was, was. wasn't it and I think I felt that although I was similarly in a very lucky position you know we have a nice house and I have a partner and we have food in the fridge (laughs) it felt like life had stalled yeah and I couldn't get to where I planned to so there were work things that had fallen through and we'd sort of had this plan that we would start looking more consciously to move out to London and you know we might at some point want to start a family which is also so bound up in grief in my mum as well that all those things suddenly grinding to a halt and having no no clear point at which they will restart again felt really difficult and it felt like that moment when you're bereaved when no one else's life stopped but yours has except everyone else's has it's just that I'm very self-involved but, <laughs> but it is that moment of of yeah standing still when you don't yeah. want to be standing still which is so similar to the early stages of grief yeah exactly I think yeah I completely relate and I was I was surprised when it hit me that's why I tweeted I was like is anyone else finding this a bit a bit griefy <laughs> and so many people were like oh my god yes 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 yes, yes. Yeah. so I was like oh yeah okay it's just it's the weirdness it's I guess it's anything, you know, so traumatic an experience we're all going through. It takes you back to your most traumatic experience. So how did Ruth die? What happened? So mum had been ill for quite a while, but not in a way that meant that 
she should have died. So she'd had cryptogenic cirrhosis of the liver, which is cirrhosis of the liver that they can't point to a direct cause of it. Okay. So it wasn't, you know, because of alcohol consumption or or anything like that, which is a typical reason for cirrhosis of the liver. She'd been very poorly with it for a while and it would sort of go up and down and she occasionally had to go into hospital for it. And it was quite stressful and she was struggling with, with ill health. But I think we thought, okay, at some point in the the distant future, she might need a liver transplant and that will be Mm. really difficult. But she was not dying. Um, And unbeknownst to us, she had, as a sort of a consequence of that cirrhosis, she had a stomach ulcer that was undiagnosed and bled out. And that that was what actually killed her. Oh, my goodness. So we were on the phone that morning and she told me that she was tired, I think. And I was like, eh, who isn't tired? Everyone's tired all of the time. And we had like a perfectly normal conversation. And then that night she died. And oh was, my God. Yeah, I was found the next morning by my dad. So yeah, that was, um, it was, it, I always think it's the worst of both worlds because I like to imagine that I do have it worse than anyone else. <laughs> it was like a, a long illness that left her really miserable and, and poorly, but also incredibly sudden and no way of saying goodbye so yeah that that was how she died I do think that is I do think that's really hard because (laughs) like you you. said I do because I think you're right you know I talked there's sort of two loose categories of grievers and it is often there was a long illness we had a chance and it came out of the blue no one knew what the hell was going on and so yeah I do really understand that although said you know my dad had a shortish illness and still refused to talk about it so you can you can get that fun middle ground that's um that must have been such a shock so did you just get a phone call yeah so I was at um I lived in quite far north London at the time but I was in Stockwell in south London um, as far south as you can get far north. Yeah. North yeah. I mean, it's all on the Victoria line, but I was still pretty far south at the time. And I had I'd stayed over the night before at the, the house of a man who at that point was not my boyfriend, but was possibly going to be a boyfriend at some point in the future. Right, okay. Um, uh, but it was very, very early days. So I'd stayed over at his house and the next day, we'd had friends over for dinner and the next day we were just, you know, having a lazy Sunday. And then I had a voicemail from my dad. And I've always said, I hate my dad leaving voicemails because I'm always convinced it's going to be something awful. Mm. Um, That anxiety extends far before mum. And I went to the bathroom, sat down on the loo, listened to the voicemail. And I, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was dad effectively just saying, call me, something's happened. But I knew within that moment what it was that had happened and I called him and he he told me that mum had died and I was like right well I have to get home and home was Newcastle so (laughs) I had to go from Stockwell to Newcastle not via my own home so I I was wearing like gold glittery heels at the time oh my god (laughs) and then yeah get a train ticket to Newcastle on the Sunday nights the train was packed and I remember sitting on the train next to this man and I was crying and I, de- I didn't really realise I was crying. I definitely thought mm. I was being extremely subtle in my unhappiness. <laughs> and he, he said, oh, you know, if you, if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. It's fine. And I just thought, I can't 
whatever this man thinks is wrong. It is not that I've just found out my mother's dead and I'm returning home to her. I cannot put this on this poor man. Aww. So yeah, I just sat there on the on the train to Newcastle having this like sort of out of body experience, crying. Not not the best location to be in when you find out that a loved one's died. Bless him for trying, but yeah, do you yeah. think he probably he probably judged it as like, oh, the boy hasn't called back exactly, rather than like, exactly. no, it's yeah, not, no, it's it, not that. My, my mother has literally just died. Uh, <laughs> Bless you, that Although I did so think at the time, this will be a good story in the future. So there was clearly, <laughs> I was clearly rational enough at that point to be like, yeah, this, this is this is narratively nice if if realistically rubbish. <laughs> That's a, a true writer, and <laughs> when every opportunity like happens, you're like, this is awful. But I mean, it is a good story, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, let's, let's log this one for later. Yeah, that is funny. So then you go back, and um, I guess it just goes. It just goes into that when someone's died, autom- like sort of what's the word, like roller coaster things and admin and all of that. So Is much that- admin, yeah. So, so much admin. admin. But you were very close to your mum then, so yeah, yeah, really, really close. I, I it feels quite strange to talk about it now because mm. it is quite a while ago, and I've written about it a lot and I've talked about it a lot. So I, I feel slightly disconnected from it when I say we yeah. were incredibly close, but we were incredibly close. We would speak multiple times a day on the phone and she was like she was my best friend isn't that an awful cliche but she was my best friend I don't um, think there's anything wrong with that I know there's like a now running gag of like if that, your mum's your best friend like get a life kind of thing. <laughs> but like because I'm also slightly in that club I'm like hey, hey <laughs> don't say hey, such leave, nasty things leave us alone we're just really good friends yeah, yeah no I, yeah no I, we were really close and we were really similar we loved a lot of the same stuff um like so it sounds like I'm sort of giving you a MySpace profile, but like we love books <laughs> and we love theatre and we like the same TV shows and we thought in quite similar ways. And mm. yeah, we were just really, really close. And that was, I, I mean, I hadn't lived at home for at that point six years, but we would, we would just talk constantly, constantly. Mm. And she didn't, she didn't text. She had a mobile phone that was constantly off in her handbag that she she literally never used so it was always me calling the home landline and then speaking on a phone call old school many times I mean I was an extraordinarily needy daughter like (laughs) looking back now I'm like oh yeah that was weird Livy but at the time it felt normal yeah people normalize you normalize your life don't you because you're like this is fine this This is is totally totally fine fine. no one's saying it's weird so I guess it's not weird um (laughs) So then did, what happened? Did you have like a funeral to organise? Was it just kind of chaos? Yeah, I yes. Yeah, so I went up to the family home and my sister had arrived home before I had. My dad was there and coincidentally, mum's sister had been coming up to visit her that day. She was also there. And then my aunt and uncle on my dad's side came up. So suddenly for quite a full house, all, all our grandparents had died by that point. So I don't think of us as being a very big family. Yeah. But all the family that did exist was suddenly there. And I basically went into admin mode and did a right. huge amount of the, the organising. And in a way that I thought at the time was very selfless and probably quite impressive. I, <laughs> I, I hoped that people were impressed by me. And actually, looking back, I was probably a bit of a dick about it because I decided that this was going to be my role. Mm. Um, I probably took it away a bit from my dad and sister, but I thought I was saving them. It's such a mixed. Um, I know, oh, Livy, we sound quite similar. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a like 
that's our thing with hindsight isn't it you in the moment you can be like i am being helpful <laughs> look how helpful i am yeah. why is not why are you not thanking me and then you don't realize like how suffocating that can yeah. be and, and it everyone's was, like well there's I, no I'm room sure, for us i'm sure i did it with like severe martyrdom as well yeah. like fine <laughs> fine guys it's okay i'm gonna do the eulogy don't worry about it. don't even think about it and maybe they wanted to i mean i don't yeah. i don't think anyone does want to do the eulogy for their mother's wedding but uh wedding because I'm a wedding caterer mother's funeral Funeral, we tend not to do eulogies at weddings yeah um so I did a lot of that and I was working with I was working with the undertaker um (laughs) although I say I remember him calling me so as all of this like admin stuff basically lasted a year and a half two years it was just my way of being arrested in grief so I I was like I'm totally fine this is obviously dreadful. What I wasn't in denial about it. What's happened is awful, but I'm going to survive because my mum had some very weird ideas about grief and how one should publicly grieve. And the most right. important thing and the most true thing I could do to her would be to be unflappable about the whole thing and not melodramatic and no like public crying or anything like that. So the, the way in which I channeled that was to do all of the admin. And I went straight back to work. So I did wow. like two days at home, helped organise the funeral, went back down to London to go to work. And you weren't a chef at this point either? No, I was a criminal yeah. barrister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just Appreciate to make things more complicated. Yeah, yeah. I was a criminal barrister. Um, and I went, I had a case that in my head I had to do. It was absolutely imperative. If I didn't do it, I was going to lose this major client. And I, it just didn't matter. But at the time, mm. it really did. And... I remember standing on the platform of a train taking me to Luton to go to the Crown Court and um, the undertaker calling me to like check something about a song we were having at the crematorium Mm. and then making jokes about the fact I was unmarried. He was like, oh, we need to get you married off. And I was like, how am I having this weird kind of like jokey relationship (laughs) with an undertaker? I'm 24. My mother's dead. I've inexplicably forced myself back to work in Luton. What is going on? Wow, that's really... I just created this persona and the persona was like girl who's good at grief mm. and, and will organize your funeral and come and do the eulogy and like smile at the wake and everything will be fine. I think it's very understandable and it sounds like you've obviously had a hindsight on it as well but it is understandable because it's, it's just coping yeah and there's a good episode a good episode a good episode of my podcast <laughs> um with the Mac twins and yeah. their yeah their dad died very suddenly and I thought it was so interesting that they just one of them did what you're saying, admin, sort out everything. And the other one just played Candy Crush. was like, I cannot, yeah, I, I, I cannot do this. And I think it's so like, it's so common. You kind of have this, there's this, after someone dies, there's this quiet. And then everyone's like, right, what are you going to do? And if someone steps up, it's like, I'm going to do everything. Yeah. Then everyone's like, oh, well, then we're going to sit and be sad because <laughs> there's no room and you're doing everything and then the person who's made that decision is like why have I done this <laughs> why and I bet that undertaker just probably thought oh she's great she's doing really yeah. well coping really well I bet all your friends were like yeah no it's really sad but she's doing really well doing really good yeah like, although I remember I remember hearing my dad on the phone to someone because dad and I had divvied up like all the people you have to tell there are so many people you oh, have to tell yeah. like you have to tell all the friends but you also have to tell like I had to cancel a hairdresser's appointment oh, and gosh. I had to take her library books back and that sort of thing I remember the hairdresser crying on the phone. Oh, I remember that really vividly. And I, I would phone these people up and I sound exactly like mum. So oh, I would wow. phone up and they'd go, oh my God, Ruth, how are you? And I'd be like, well, it's not Ruth. And funny story. <laughs> <laughs> Living. 
wait for it. Wait for the punchline. <laughs> You're not going to believe it. Yeah. Oh so my I did God. That over and over again. But I remember hearing dad on the phone talking to someone who he'd broken the news to. And they clearly said, "How Oli- my sister's called Madeline, how Olivia and Madeline. And um, dad said, yeah, they're, they're doing quite well. Like, Olivia's kind of doing too well. And I, I remember mm. really vividly the feeling of like, how dare you suggest that this is not real? But mm. also pride that it had been recognised that I was just superlative at um, losing my mum. Yeah. And it took so, so long for me to unscramble this. And I was living with two friends in London at the time. And I've talked to one of them, I'm still very, very close to, talked to one of them since. And she said, I was so worried about you. But I also knew you. And I knew if I sort of confronted you on it and said, you are not coping, although Mm. you think you are coping, you'd just close down. So I kind of just had to let you continue in this way. But I was so worried the whole time. And I just, I'd never even thought about that. Like, it never occurred to me that Susie would have found it hard. I think that's really, really interesting. And I think that sounds like your friend is amazing. <laughs> they, were, they were pretty good. I mean, I came, yeah. when I first came home from being up north, I'm not very tidy. Like, I'm better yeah. now. I'm be- my husband's made me a bit better. Uh, they tidied my room, done all my washing, folded my clothes, Aww. put it on the bed, and stocked the fridge with all my favourite things. And then just kind of let me talk about it if I wanted to, but didn't push it it was one of the kindest things that's ever been done to me coming back to that flat in Crouch End and they just they clearly thought what can we do practically that's going to help yeah her? it's so small isn't it and it's the kind of thing I think sometimes people think oh that, that won't make a difference you're like no it does it really the tiny yeah. things do but so I think that's so interesting that she knew you well enough yeah because I think we've all you know oh my god we're quite similar I've definitely had that where I'm like I'm in control everything's fine everything's (laughs) fine why are people looking at me weirdly I don't know I'm coping so well look at me coping and then like you know two months later my husband's like yeah I know of course I knew like why didn't you say anything he's like if I could have said anything you would have gone worse yeah so you have to like just like kind of it's like a toddler, isn't it? You have to like walk near them in case they fall over, but you can't like take no. over. You're like, okay, okay, I'm I'm here if you fall. <laughs> I'm very aware you're about to, but I, I'm not. I'm, you think you're in control because yeah. what I think, especially when a death like yours, when it's so sudden and so you're so out of control, you're scrabbling to pull your world back together, aren't you? So yeah. you're you're trying to like, of course, admin and emails and telling people makes you feel like okay the world is controllable. I can yeah. do this. And I, I live my life by like a to-do list. That's always yeah. been the way I've, I've done it. And I just turned grief into another to-do list, I think. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was doing the eulogy, so I had that to write. And I was executor on her estate, so I could deal with all the legal stuff. And that was great because I was a lawyer. Yeah. So I was, um, my sister wasn't, so I took over that as well. I, I eventually went to therapy quite a while later. But it wasn't until I was writing the book. I was about halfway through writing the book when I went to therapy. And I kept trying to berate myself in therapy sessions where I was like, I've caused this arrested grief. Like mm-hmm. I have almost deliberately repressed it. And it has like ossified inside me until it's something that I can't cope with. And my therapist was like, your brain was just protecting you. Like you were mm-hmm. not in a position to deal with the loss at that stage. Clearly you would have just fallen apart and your brain knew better than you did and was like, fine, we just won't deal with it yet. And it was like, 
the sun rising when he said that, that actually <laughs> I hadn't just destroyed, I don't know, four or five years of my life by being overly efficient and a bit of a dickhead. Like it was, there, there was good like, reason for it. Are you like generally very hard on yourself? <laughs> <laughs> what on earth would make you say that? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> God, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, because I think, yeah, like, I mean, I, look, I'm 20 plus years. That's why I can, I have to say 20 plus years, I just can't be bothered to <laughs> narrow it down. 22. And um, I, I completely understand like, it sounds like as well, I hate to psychoanalyze because I'm not trained, but if you are a bit of a perfectionist and you like things done in a good way, it sounds like mm. base, it wasn't like you were pressing, you were trying to do grief really well. Yeah. You're trying to do it well. And the problem with grief is it's so fucking messy. Yeah. It's, it's so it, chaotic. And the, the, the prospect of that chaos, because it is chaos. Yeah. Like it's so, chaos. so messy. And the, the prospect of that was just so overwhelming. And I think I, I felt constantly if I gave into that, I would never come out of it, which is not the case. But that was definitely how it felt at the time, that I cannot fall into this abyss of grief. Mm. Because if I do, I will stop working. I will stop getting up in the mornings. I yeah. will just lose my mind. That's exactly what I had in therapy. Because I was like, oh, I, I can only talk about it. You know, I would talk about it, but I was like, I can only talk about it so much mm. in my control and there's stories I will share. Yeah. And then there was this whole murky world of other things that just did not get discussed. And I remember her saying, she was like, what do you think is going to happen? I was like, I think I will start crying and I will never stop. Yeah. Like that's in my head. And she yeah. was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she was like, but nobody's ever done that. You know, no one has ever just continually. And I was like, oh yeah. I guess. But in my head, I was like, I know me, I know me best. Yeah, like, no, I had exactly the same. And yeah. I, mean, I know it's jumping ahead a bit with the therapy stuff. So no, the, no. the first thing to say is that I, I sort of initially went for therapy in the aftermath of the death. Right. Um, and was referred to CBT, which just doesn't work for me. So I saw a psychiatrist yeah. who was like, you shouldn't do CBT because you, um, oh, what was it he said? Because I took it as a huge compliment and it definitely wasn't. <laughs> I think he was like, you're t- you'll over-intellectualise it. And I was like, thank you. Um, <laughs> That's not yep. what I meant. I, th- um, I got sent CBT as well. And I think I found CBT very, like, like a plaster, like very helpful yeah. to get through the next few weeks. But then I was like, no, this shit is, I well, need my, more than this. My problem was that my anxiety had predated mum's death mm, and it yeah. had always been focused on someone I love dying. Uh, and I had this whole thing where like, someone I love is going to die. And then they did. And I was like, see CBT, the whole point with CBT is you learn these mechanisms for the fact that your thought processes are probably wrong and you need to like tone them down and I was like mm, I think you'll find that actually <laughs> that's exactly I'm how correct. I felt I was like <laughs> she would say to me you know you this anxiety like why do you think you're gonna what why is this coming from and I was like because someone died yeah yeah and then she was like I was right anxiety yeah. was right the world was wrong and she would go yes but lots of people didn't die I was like yes but one of them did yeah. so it's and, all and they very... actually meant quite a lot to me yeah it's all very well being like she was like yeah but you know on your average day people aren't dying and I was like yes but the one time it really mattered <laughs> they did so I'm yeah. afraid my my brain is like whenever you're arguing like hey you know don't be anxious come on the world. you're like boom like trump card yeah, exactly there it exactly. is exactly 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. I stopped doing that therapy. And also at that point, I was very unhappy with my job and I was trying to sort yeah. of work that out. So that therapy went quite badly. And I used to be given homework for it because they give you Ooh. homework with CBT often. Yeah. And they like, make you fill in little forms. And I just wouldn't do it. And I, it was, I would sit on the tube on my way to, to, to do it, like trying to second guess what the right answers were supposed <laughs> to be like. What makes it look like I'm processing this properly? Yeah, so yeah. I'd do all of that. It was just hopeless. And it wasn't until I was writing the book that I went back he made me sit with my feelings because I had exactly the same thing. I was like, I don't want to cry about this. Mm. Um, and I would talk, I would tell my stories and be like, I hope he's going to find me funny and charming, which I understand <laughs> is a common, a common therapy um, uh, trope. And they don't, yeah. they literally never do. They think you're an idiot who can't process their own feelings. So <laughs> people like your thoughts are like, like everything you're doing is above your head and we need to bring it back down. You need to feel it. And I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> what you've misunderstood here is that I might want to feel any of this stuff. Like I've yeah. worked very hard to not feel it. And he was like, yeah, but you're also deeply unhappy. And you have found a point in your life where you want to engage in a way that deals with this grief. You're going to have to sit with it. And he used to basically... This makes him sound like more of a dick than he is. He's, he was very, very good. He used to goad me into crying. He used to deliberately get me to talk about things that he knew would make me cry because he knew that that was like my final defence. Yeah, yeah. And I hated it. Like, yeah. I hated it so much. And then I sort of reached this this point where I was like, oh my God, he's fixing me. Like, it, it was week after week where I was like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, this is dreadful. And then I started processing stuff. But I had spent a full, yeah, five, six years working very hard to actively repress. Any time the thought of mum or sadness came up, it felt like I was physically pushing it down inside me. Um, And I got to a point where I knew that wasn't healthy, but then that's the only way you know how to deal with it. Yeah, and I think also, to be fair to yourself, like 24 is really young. young. It's really (laughs) young. young. It's massively young. And I think, you know, most 24-year-olds aren't facing their own mortality, their parents' mortality. What does life mean? Who am I? Where Mm. did I come? Like all of that stuff that a death like literally drops a bomb into your life. I think that's so common. And I think it's very common 
it's noticed a lot um, with with teenage um, pe- teenagers who are bereaved is that they don't really do any therapy till they hit thirties mm. because it's like you're a teenager. What the hell's just happened? And you spend your twenties repressing, trying to deal. What yeah. the hell just happened to me? And then by th- about thirty, you're like, oh, I'm not happy. Oh, it's because of that. But I think, like you said your brain does what it needs to do to keep you living and that's fine (laughs) although it's interesting that you said so a a sort of crucial part of the story is that mum's dad died when she was 12 Mm. and she never dealt with it right and had these very as I say these very sort of unique ideas about how one should grieve and what's appropriate and what's not and some of it was just her being a, a snob frankly mm-hmm. but clearly some of it was based on the way in which she'd lost her father and the the hurt that she'd felt through that and the fact that she never really dealt with it uh, and I think that that played such a huge part in the way that in, in my relationship with her but also in then the way that I grieved for her because yeah. it did feel like I was trying to measure myself up to her ways of grieving I think as well but she should she should definitely have had therapy in her 30s and she would probably be a much happier person for it but she didn't for that generation as well yeah. so you know so did her dad did her dad die quite suddenly or was no it he not? had lung cancer and it was not really discussed I'm guessing of no generation. no yeah. and her mum remarried within a year I think Oof. um yeah. mum and her stepfather never really got on yeah. But um, her elder sister, who has also since died, um, everyone's dead. Uh, she died just before my wedding, which oh. was which was was tricky. But anyway, um, her elder sister was away at boarding school and then left home. So it was just my mum, her mum, and her new stepfather at mm. home. And I think she found that very very difficult. Um, and she had like she actually had quite a close relationship to, to Peter in the end because. As my grandparents got older, I mean, he was the only grandfather I knew from that side, so he was mm. still my grandpa. But um, as they got older, mum took on a lot of the caring roles. So she was sort of quite close to him, but their relationship was always difficult. And I'm sure that it was made more difficult by the fact that it was pretty soon after yeah, he died. God. And they had the same name, which I, I probably doesn't screw you up if you call your father dad. But to me, I oh, find that like, yeah, that's really weird, weird, isn't it? Yeah. That that thing that's really interesting that you do learn so much from your parents and of course if your mum had you know, to lose a dad at twelve is will affect you for the rest mm. of your life. And then you trying to, like you said, measure yourself up to like how she had grieved and what she yeah. would have done if she was grieving herself almost. It's like Yeah. We talked about him quite a lot. Uh, mm. uh, but and yet I feel like I know nothing about him. Which is really yeah. weird. Like we always knew that mum's dad had died. We always knew that she loved him loads and she missed him. And I know he was a civil engineer and I think he might have played the ukulele. That's it. <laughs> That's what I know. Um, yeah. And I find that so strange that, that this person that meant so much to her and that was a presence in our lives was clearly talked about in quite a delineated way. Mm. Yeah, um, quite protect. Sounds like very protected as well. Yeah. So she obviously didn't want to open that box in case she started so. crying and couldn't stop. Yeah. So she very was like, that. "I'm sad." Which, if even you to know that, it's quite an intellectual thing, isn't it? Like, oh, I am sad about this. Yes. He was a civil engineer, but I'm not telling you how it felt at the time yeah. or what. Ha- yeah. All of that. Yeah. I think God, that's so. 
<sighs> parents <laughs> like <laughs> so interesting isn't it because I always think you need to go one one generation back to go oh and then you need to go another two back to be like oh I see <laughs> to be like that's why they were like that and that's why yeah. they did that like it's really and that's so interesting how it affected affected your grief so you said when did you start writing the book then um so how many I, years after oh, that oh goodness so I started blogging first right, I started okay. so okay so to go back a little bit the way that I dealt with grief in in any meaningful sense because I didn't really deal with it was yeah. I started baking right so prior to mum's death I couldn't cook or bake at all I like oh wow yeah I lived on like supermarket tortellini and takeaway kebabs and supermarket sauces that went on the tortellini and like mm. that that was it I really really couldn't cook but there was something about baking that felt very grounding and it kind of took me out of my own head. My job was quite intellectual. Grief, it makes you think a lot. Mm. Um, and physically using my hands to make stuff and following a recipe and having to pay attention was quite soothing. Although I didn't see any of that at the time, but that, looking back, that was clearly the case. So I became quite obsessive, unsurprisingly, about baking and just kept going and going and going. And... The, the guy whose room I'd been in when I found out that my mum had died had by that point become my boyfriend. And he said, why don't you write about the intersection between the, the active, active baking and grieving? So I started a blog, which was a half-baked idea. Mm. And the first recipe was, or the first blog post was when life gives you lemons, make lemon curd. And it was just like a little bit of stuff about mum, a little bit of stuff about food. Here's a recipe. And it was a very small time blog. There were not a lot of people reading it, but it kind of allowed me to, having previously only written in a like a legal way, it, mm. it allowed me to find my voice and to like exercise those writing muscles. And one of the few people who was reading it became my agent. And she took me out for a coffee and said, have you thought about writing a book? And I was like, well, yeah, because like, who hasn't thought about writing a book? Yeah, yeah. But, but also, no, not in any meaningful sitting down and writing many, many words in, in quick succession way of writing a book. So the original plan had been for me to write the whole thing and then we'd send it out on proposal. And um, turns out I can't do anything without a deadline. So. mate I hear you I really hear you don't, I can't just do it because I want to someone has to tell me I'll be in trouble then you know, I'll do it you know when people say like oh if no one ever read my work again I, I just keep writing because I love it so absolutely not like no, I no. would watch Netflix and I would eat crisps like I, I need I need to know that it's going somewhere and to yes, have a deadline yes. and to feel anxious about it essentially yes so we kind of put a false deadline in place and I wrote a proposal and that sold in July 2018 Okay. May 2018? May tw I was on honeymoon, that's it. It was May 2018. I was in, I found out that I got the book deal in a graveyard, um, <laughs> <laughs> which felt appropriate. Perfect. But uh, yeah, so I started writing it properly in May 2018 and it was due December 2018. So in terms of book writing, it was quite a quick turnaround. And halfway through that, I realised I needed to go to therapy fairly urgently, which was the best thing I've ever done. So is the process of writing just made you go, I actually can't handle sitting yeah. in it? Because the thing with writing about grief, you really have to sit in it. You really Tell have to sit in it. Tell me about it. It is you not really comfortable. It. it is really rubbish. And I found, yeah, I found that really, really hard. And I remember talking to my, my agent, who is, is brilliant and incredibly like sensitive about the fact that I'm writing about my dead mum. But I remember her saying to me, 
it must be quite cathartic writing all of this. I was like, no, no. what is the opposite of cathartic? Like, yeah. It's like plugging salt into a very open wound. Yeah. It's like getting a spatula covered in salt yeah. and, like, and digging it right really in. Really going in there. Can, can that wound get bigger? Yeah. I don't know how much can we get to bone what's under there like that's what it feels like because I'm obviously I'm in the middle of writing at the moment and I find as well you write it writing the first bit it's like fine yeah. you have to fucking read this shit oh you have to God. read it read you, I, I bet oh. you're doing your own audiobook are you doing your own audiobook yes of yeah course, it's yeah. like I had such nice direction producers say so the whole thing was lovely it's the worst because <laughs> you then have to read out all these like incredibly like vulnerable Personal. things and I got through I got through so much of it without crying. I got through like, I don't know, wow. seven eighths of it without crying. Wow. And then just lost it. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Um, and actually God. the reason I lost it was because the, what really affected me when I was writing the book was that mum's sister had died fairly recently. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was, I loved my, my aunt Jan a lot, but not to the extent that I expected to be that mm. broken by her death. I found it, it, because I'd started like thinking about grief, like I was reading up and I was reading all the grief books, listening to yeah. all the back episodes of Griefcast. You know, I was really immersed in grief when she died, and it was almost like regrieving mum. Mm. I found that really, really hard. I think sometimes there's a really weird thing, and like, I don't know how to describe it because it sometimes sounds like um, not doing justice to that person dying, but sometimes. I hear of some deaths who people I know and I'm like oh that's sad oh dear oh you know that's awful obviously and then other people you're like ow ow why is this like you said it just it seems to trigger so much in you of the first death that got you and I I don't know like yeah because that first death that like opens up your heart and makes you go oh I see we all die nothing's safe (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. that first realization and it's what I find weird is it's not like I had a friend whose mum passed away recently of like the same cancer that my dad had and I was very sad but I didn't feel broken by it like I was just like oh that's awful I you know you know I was there for her and I was texting her and calling her but I didn't feel like it got under my skin in the way that recently a friend died very suddenly and I was like like you said broken just like Mm. whoa smacked across the face and it's just it just depends on like yeah like it doesn't yeah all little tiny things like it's, that it's really strange and, or... and sometimes it's people I don't know like I really struggled yes. with Victoria Wood's death oh, and yeah. Linda Bellingham's death because yeah. we had like they're not even interesting stories to tell you but we had like little in jokes in the family or like connections with them that yeah. that made me they just they were so inextricably linked to mum and also quite a similar age yeah um, that I found that hard but um, I think with Jan, part of it, Jan was my mum's sister, part of it was that um, she, she had very aggressive stomach cancer. Oh, um, so she was diagnosed in the September and died in November, I think. I think I got that right. Wow, wow, that's um, really fast. Really, really aggressive. And, um, but we all got to say goodbye. Mm. And that was something that I'd obviously lacked with mum. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to do it. I really, really didn't want to do it. And when my, my dad phoned me and said, Jan's in this hospital, I think, I, I, I think you should go and see it. And I was like, well, I'm very busy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Classic. know if you know, I'm writing a book about grief. I'm quite busy at the moment. I couldn't possibly see someone who's dying. <laughs> How awful. I'm busy writing about death. Yeah. Please leave me alone. God, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, we've got a wedding in Scotland at the weekend, but I'll try and get there after that. 
And dad was like, no, 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 you need to go. So I did. And I remember viscerally sitting in the waiting room because the doctor was seeing her when I first arrived. So I was put into a waiting room and shaking, really, Mm. really shaking. I'd been given a glass of water and my hand was just going. And I was so nervous about the whole thing. And then actually it was, it was kind of lovely because I hadn't seen her for a while and I loved her so much. And I, apart from my sister, there's no one else in the world who loved mum in the same way that, that me and Madeline yeah. did. Like Jan was so close to her. And in fact, when mum died, I found Jan's grief really difficult mm. um, because she was much more open about it than me and my sister and dealt with it in a much healthier way. I remember her saying that we'd given her a perfume of mum's and she was like, in the morning... I, uh, I open the perfume and I smell it and I sit at my dressing table and I think of Ruth for like 20, 30 minutes and then I put the lid back on and I go about my day and I was like, oh my God, like <laughs> so earnest, so sentimental. Mum would hate it. And <laughs> she would have hated it actually. But it was a much, much healthier way to deal with it. But at the mm. time I was like, Jan, this is, you are sort of suggesting that your grief is comparable to mine and my sister's. Mm. And I think now if, if I lost my sister, like, I get it. I, yeah. I totally get it. But at the time, I was so blinkered. So sitting down with Jan and talking about mum in a really quiet and meaningful way, just the two of us in this really, like, kind of momentous setting was really wonderful. But it was so hard because I, it just re-articulated that I'd never had that with mum. It's so hard, isn't it? I think the older I get and the more grief stuff I read and think about, I think... It's about holding those two things. Yeah. It is so sad you didn't get that with your mum. It is so great you had that with her. Right. And yeah. they both exist. They both, it doesn't, they don't cancel each other out. No. But of course, of course, there will always be that deep, deep well of sadness that you, you didn't get to chat to your mum yeah. in that way. But then if you hadn't, you wouldn't have spoken to Jan like that if you hadn't have missed that. You know what I mean? Everything no. is so linked and connected. It was because of the death of your mum that you were able to sit and go, even though every bone in my body does wants to run yeah. away from this hospital, I am Here going I am. in there. Yeah, I've had yeah. that when you just like my feet are literally moving because they're going run, run, yeah. run away. <laughs> don't don't go in. Don't talk to this person. Don't do it. Don't do it. And your brain is like, I think I have to. But your body's like, no, no, no. we don't like it. We don't feel safe. <laughs> just just get out of here. Yeah. Like, what, what am I going to do? Run into the car park and run home. And never speak to anyone again. Like no. you you have to do these things. But I think that's. And it's interesting as well what you said about Blinkered. I, uh, Tom Price's episode, he said something about that, which I remember at the time thinking he was a bit harsh, but he was like, people who are grieving could be like real idiots, real twats. And I was like, ow. But it does blinker you it so does. much. And of course a sister's grief is is yeah. deeply painful. But when I do think when it's a parent, you don't understand. And also when you're young, I yeah. think that's the other thing. I found that, I remember his friends crying and I was like, God, why are they, cry- why are they crying? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not your dad. It didn't occur to me that they would be missing They'd that. They'd lost someone too. They'd lost someone, yeah. Because I was I like, know. but I lost my dad. So yeah. why are you upset? It, like, yeah. it felt, it, it, and it, actually it still feels a bit like this to me, that there is, although I know rationally it's wrong. Uh, I'll just put that in there, like I'm not insane. It yeah. feels like there's a finite amount of grief mm. and that people are, invading your grief if they are grief if they are not just feeling overwhelming sympathy for you although I didn't want that like I would have rejected yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. but I would like to have known that they were feeling that mm. whilst not like suggesting that they understood my loss mm. um, and that is bonkers and obviously nonsense but it's the only 
the only way that I felt at the time. Like this is this is mine. It's all yeah. mine. And it's I felt very like... possessive about it. <laughs> but I guess also if you're not able, just literally not able to feel the grief because of it's so overwhelming. Mm you are almost putting in a box for safekeeping. So then when somebody does feel it, you're like, oh, well, no, I, I'm coming back to that. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I haven't done with it. Don't touch it because... It's because still what, mine. It's still mine because what yeah. you don't realise is if you just let it out, it will come, it will go, it will, some days it'll be there, some days it won't. Like, that's why I think, like you said, you, the rawness that happens, I would say, like, is one to five. Yeah. As you get past that, you realise, like, oh, it's just going to be here. Like, it's yeah. just part of this. This is what I am now. But I completely understand that, like possessive nature of it and and also I think because it was so sudden for you and you didn't get that chance so you're constantly having to like process what sorry what just happened what just yeah. happened like and it just felt so viscerally unfair I had this thing I talk about in my book which is um also me being mad but it's grief top trumps mm, oh so yes yeah, yeah. It's, it's really it's really important <laughs> it's really important that I have suffered more than anyone else mm. and obviously I know that's not true and that that is mad. But that was how I felt at the time. And I, like, grief top trumps was always skewed towards me, obviously. <laughs> so if, um, you know, say your parent had had a, a very long stretch of horrible cancer, which is, to me, unimaginable. Like, I, I've never experienced it. And I think it must be incredibly painful. But I would trump that because mine was sudden and I didn't get to say goodbye. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if it happened to you when you were younger than me, well, you probably weren't as close as I was to my mum. <laughs> but if it happened to you when you were older, well, you'd had longer. Yeah. So, like, yeah. It, there was no way of, uh, in my head of beating me, of having a harder time. And I used to do these calculations constantly. And, like, with people that I knew from school who I hadn't seen for 15 years, with friends from uni, with, like, fictional characters, with celebrities, I'd be like, yeah, but I... I've got it worst. My grief is the worst and you can't touch it. And I was like, I, I kind of lost my mind about what grief and loss meant mm. because I, for a long time, couldn't, this makes me a horrible person, but I couldn't understand how people could grieve grandparents. Mm. Oh no, I don't think it makes it horrible, but I was I was like that at the beginning as well. It so took me a long so, time. They're so old, they've had a whole life, but <laughs> yeah. you know, they they... You got yeah. them. You got. They I saw know. you get married. They saw this. They, you know, they got to hold their grandchildren, see them grow mm. up, and like my mum will never have that. And and I, more importantly, I will never have my mum having yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And for a long, long time, if people were like really thrown by by a bereavement that wasn't a really close bereavement, I was at least inwardly rolling my eyes. <laughs> and it took me so long and I know because you always say on Griefcast you're like you know it doesn't matter what the closeness is it doesn't matter what yeah, the relationship is there's no grief is. hierarchy and there's no grief grief top trumps is the opposite of that yes yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Would, I would listen to the episodes and be like rationally I see that but also <laughs> <laughs> and it took me a very very long time and the, the impulse is still there for mm. me to go nah. it's, it, it, it's not a not a good thing but I'm getting better no I think that's really good to be honest about because I think we all do it and the reason I often say there's no grief hierarchy is to give myself a little hit around the head of yeah, like yeah. carryad, because I was deaf and I would have I would have a hundred percent been like that seven years in. Like what really changed for me was when my husband, well, my husband lost his father. I was um, we weren't married then, but that for me was like oh well I know that world. And then he lost his mum, and I was like yeah. oh 
I've always thought I had it very hard. Oh, this is... And when you get to see... When you're not the one grieving, but you're very close to the griever and you're mm. reversed, especially when you've been number one griever. Yeah. I, I'm the one who's had it happen to me. I really took me out myself and made me go, oh, fuck. Like, it is hard wherever you are, wherever where you're standing. Even if you're standing close, obviously it's, it's more painful. If you're standing next to that person, it's, it's equally very painful because the person you love is in pain. Yeah. And that was a really good leveler for me because I was like, oh, I really thought... I understood it and I didn't. Yeah. And then when I started doing grief class and you would just hear these people's stories and you'd be like, oh, that sounds really sad. Like, But I totally, that impulse I think comes from, just comes from the pain of missing someone and, and still wanting to say, I'm still upset about it. Yeah, you, I'm not over it. But you don't feel justified yeah. in that. So you go, well, it's because it happened to be very young. It's actually, a poor me, poor me, it was very young. <laughs> and instead of just going, oh yeah it was 20 years ago but I'm still quite upset about it that's okay like but you feel embarrassed and there should be a justification for your sadness yeah and I think that's quite intellectualizing isn't it it's like I can't just feel it no 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 no. I I have to be sad I I have to do actual calculations actual maths (laughs) I mean there's the barrister in you isn't it like what's the what's the evidence that I win this case I weighed it up so so you're seven years now and the book has come out yeah and you've completely changed your life. Yeah. Do you, like, yeah, you're not a barrister. You're now a very well, successful yes. cook and writer of cooking things. <laughs> <laughs> food, food writer, that's the word I was yeah. looking for. Like, do you ever have a moment where you think, I sp- I probably you do, like that duality of like, oh, my life is, I'm much happier. But did mm. that happen because of yeah. this upheaval? All the time. Yeah. Like, and I think actually the Fortnum and Mason Award came out during lockdown. And I think that was, that also really played into why I found my grief so ramped up during lockdown. Mm. Because I am, in almost every way, apart from one crucial way, much, much happier now. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the guy that I was... I mean, it's not a spoiler, it's on the back of the book. Like, the guy that I was dating became my husband. And I'd literally been seeing him for, like, a week and a half, two weeks when mum died. Wow. I was a really, really unhappy criminal barrister. I'm not doing that anymore. As a consequence of um, like a small amount of inheritance, I was able to go and train at the Cordon Bleu in patisserie, which I wouldn't have done otherwise. I wouldn't have discovered the love of cooking. I wouldn't have had this thing to, to write about in the same way. Mm. Like everything that makes me happy today comes from the fact that mum has died. Mm. And that is overwhelming. And I, I find that quite difficult to process. And it goes hand in hand with the fact that the only person that I want to tell about any of it is her. Mm. And the person who would be proudest would absolutely... I mean, my dad's really proud. But, like, mum yeah, wanted yeah, to be I a know. writer and she wanted one of her kids to be a writer. And, and now, I mean, Madeline writes as well. But uh, she would have just been so proud. And mm. it took me a while even to, to look that in the eye. For a long time, I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, maybe maybe she would be. Who knows? I can't say. And now I'm like, yeah, obviously she would be incredibly proud. Um, Mm. but that is often too hard for me to look at directly yeah it's it's really difficult and I Robert Webb spoke about it and Felix White as well was like whenever something great happens there's just this I don't know it's like this presence in the room isn't it of like oh wow oh yeah they're not they're not here and it's just even if it's fleeting it's it's always there and it I feel like if you're not in the club, people think, oh my God, how depressing. But you're like, no, it's not depressing. It's just, it's just how it is. Yeah. Although I think I, I, I find it very hard to celebrate things now, which is a bit depressing. Mm. I've talked, I talked to Sam about this a bit during lockdown because we've, like the, the paperback was published in lockdown. 
to the Fortnums and there was also the Guild of Food Writers Awards and they were all like objectively brilliant things and I was thrilled Hmm. but the moment it came to actually celebrating any of them I kind of closed down and I was like "Uh, I'm not sure I really want to because none of it was what I wanted which was mum's approval yeah which actually I think is probably even if she'd been alive it's probably not super healthy to do everything for your mother's approval and that was something (laughs) that my therapist may have suggested but but yeah all right we're taking stages yeah exactly right like just let me get grief (laughs) before you start unpicking our unhealthy relationship jesus christ yeah i found i found i found celebrating quite hard although we managed it quite well at the wedding that was always Mm. from the moment she died i was like i can't believe if i ever get married she's not going to be there Mm. um and she would have been a nightmare like she would have disagreed (laughs) with almost every decision i made she wouldn't have agreed with the fact that you know we didn't we didn't announce into the newspaper (laughs) i didn't didn't take my husband's name Uh, but she would have loved it Mm, and the fact that she wasn't there was so difficult but then all that we had lots of different speeches and she was in all of them she was so present Mm. we had like my dad spoke about her obviously um my sister was my maid of honor and she did like the most incredible speech that made the whole room cry um and spoke about her i spoke about her and sam spoke about her and i i i i very much feel like she the reason that we celebrated so well on that wedding day is because she was a part of it and i don't Mm. I, I I can't bring myself to believe in the whole she's up there looking down on me thing. Mm. I don't believe in afterlife. I'm not religious. But she was a part of it in the sense that the people who loved her made her a part of it and her memory was there in a not maudlin way, but mm. in a celebratory way. So we are coming to the end. Um, I can't recommend your, your book enough. It's, it's a beautiful book. And I would like to heartily recommend which kept me going through lockdown, your cookie recipe. Oh, Please. thank you. <laughs> you're on Instagram, aren't you? So I people am. can find the recipes on there. Like I, Because I think you're right, this idea of baking and creating in the process of grief is unbelievably healing and yeah. very satisfyingly healing. But your cookie recipe was... Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, I, I've eaten a lot of those during lockdown. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> well, Olivia, thank you so much for coming to talk to me. Thank about you for Ruth having me. And your book really appreciate it thank you so much you can follow olivia on twitter at underscore poots p-o-o-t-s underscore for twitter and she's at a half-baked idea on instagram her book a half-baked idea just came out in paperback i thoroughly recommend it she is a wonderful human and a brilliant writer you can follow us on twitter and instagram at the Griefcast. Uh, the show was edited by kate holland it was recorded in my living room and olivia's living room uh, the music was provided by the glue ensemble artwork is by jade perkin thank you so much for listening and remember you are not alone What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.